Good morning, Hope Jersey City. It's good to be with you this morning. Today we're continuing our series called Into the Deep, where we're exploring the book of Jonah and the message of Jonah that God's grace and compassion is greater and deeper than we could ever imagine. So with that, let's dive right on in to our passage for this morning. We're reading from Jonah chapter 3. Um, if you have Bibles, turn with me. We're going to begin in verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, Forty more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the kings and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their, their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. So here, Jonah finally makes it to the city of Nineveh and preaches God's message of justice to it. And that's what we're going to explore this morning, this idea of God's justice. But before we get there, I want to take a step back and ask a bigger important question about the book of Jonah. And the question is this, did this story really happen? I think it's important for us to address this question head on because often stories like Jonah are used by outsiders to attack the faith as, as ways of saying, look at the ridiculous things Christians believe. I also think that if we're honest, uh, stories like Jonah in the Bible can sometimes create doubt in us. It's a pretty incredible story. Jonah, this dude thrown in a sea and swallowed by a fish. What do we make of this? Well, the question of did this story really happen? I want to begin by saying I personally know scholars and I know Christians who say yes and no to this issue. There are good Christians who love Jesus, who believe the Bible, who think Jonah did happen, and who think it didn't. And I think the, the question here isn't, is the Bible true? The question with the book of Jonah is, what type of literature is the book of Jonah? And there are some scholars who think that Jonah is a book that pre presents itself as a historical narrative, and there are others who think that Jonah presents itself as a parable or as a fable or as satire or some kind of a, a story that's made for its message. People who think that Jonah is historically literal often uh, 
make the argument that Jonah never says anything else, like the book never identifies itself as any other genre, or they might point to the New Testament where Jesus quotes, uh, Jesus mentions Jonah in such a way to make it seem like Jesus believed uh, he was real. But people who think Jonah isn't a historically literal story will argue, first of all, that the tale is just kind of unbelievable. I think if we're honest, it's, it's hard to believe this story, even as someone who's preaching. It's hard to believe um, this story. Even, even if you think God can do anything and God can do the miraculous, something about this story and the miracle in it, I think seems kind of out of character compared to the other miracles we see. Um, Another reason is that the book, if you look at it in Hebrew, seems to have um, started with the psalm or the prayer or the poem, whatever you want to call it, in chapter 2 that Jonah prays, and that the story expanded from there. It seems that there's some evidence that the story has developed over time. And lastly, I think it's important to recognize that uh, Stories and parables can be true, even if they're not historically literal. People who say that uh, Jonah isn't historical, historically literal will say this, that a parable um, conveys great truth, even if it didn't literally happen. We, we're, we're good at this when we see this in the New Testament, right? Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan, and it didn't have to happen. It's a parable to illustrate a truth. Personally, I'm in the camp that I think the book of Jonah is probably a parable. I think it's probably a story that was developed to illustrate this truth about God's love for the nations. Uh, but this is something where Christians, I believe, can reasonably disagree. You can think that Jonah is a historical tale. You can think that Jonah is a parable. And we can all still agree that, that God can do the miraculous and that the Bible is true. So all of that is kind of an aside. What we're looking at this morning is Jonah chapter 3. So let's get back to Jonah chapter 3. What's going on here? After everything that's happened in chapter 1, Jonah running away from God and meeting with the sailors, and in chapter 2, him being in the belly of a fish, Jonah, Jonah finally makes it to the city of Nineveh. He gets there, he preaches God's message of justice, and they repent. Now, to understand this, I think we need to ask a few questions about Nineveh. What is Nineveh? What is this city? What was it like? Well, from the biggest level, the city of Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian Empire. This is important to realize because Assyria was one of Israel's biggest enemies. In fact, in 722 BC, the nation of Israel, of Assyria, came and conquered Israel and took them into captivity. So one of Israel's biggest enemies. But if you want to learn more about Nineveh, a great place to look is actually another book in the Old Testament, the book of Nahum. Nahum is another one of the minor prophets, and it's a, a book that's three chapters long, and the entire thing is a prophetic oracle against the city of Nineveh. It's easy to remember. Nahum begins with an N. Nineveh begins with an N. When you think Nahum, think prophet, uh, prophetic oracle against Nineveh. Here are some of the things that the book of Nahum says about the city of Nineveh. It says the city is characterized by wickedness. In Nahum 1, 
11. It says, from you, O Nineveh, has come forth who plots evil against the Lord and counsels wickedness. Nahum says that Nineveh was characterized by idolatry. In chapter 1, verse 14, I will destroy the carved images and cast idols that are in the temple of your gods. When you read the book of Nahum over and over, it talks about Nineveh as a place that is full of violence. In Nahum chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Woe to the city, full of blood, full of lies, full of plunder, never without victims. In chapter 3, verse 3, it says, Charging cavalry, flashing swords, and glittering spears, many casualties, piles of dead bodies without number, people stumbling over courses, corpses. It's a city that has economic oppression. In chapter 3, verse 6 of Nahum, it says, You have increased the number of your merchants till they are more than the stars of the sky, but like locusts, they strip the land and fly away, condemning economic practices that take from the land. And the very last verse of the book of Nahum says, who has not felt your endless cruelty? So this is what the city of Nineveh was like, according to the Old Testament, full of wickedness, idolatry, violence, economic oppression, and cruelty. So Jonah goes and preaches to this city and says, in 40 days it will be overthrown. They repent and God doesn't bring the destruction on them. I think in this chapter, we can learn a lot about God's justice. And we can learn about how we can participate in God's justice. And so what I want to do is look at the three major characters in this story. We have Jonah, we have the Ninevites, and we have God. And each one of them shows us a way we can participate in God's justice, tools that we can use. So the first tool that we can use to be participants in God's justice is proclamation. We see this in the character of Jonah. Jonah chapter 3 verse 4, on the first day Jonah started into the city and he proclaimed 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. So Jonah goes into the city and he proclaims God's justice and God's wrath against the city. Now this is important. We don't don't like talking about God's wrath, but I think we really do need to reckon with it. If we don't reckon with God's wrath, first of all, there's a a whole chunk of the Bible that we should effectively cut out. We can't ignore it. It's biblical. But even more so, I think we often treat God's wrath as an embarrassment to our witness when really God's wrath is an empowerment to our witness. And here's why. God's wrath in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament prophets, is almost always directed against social injustice. When you read the Old Testament prophets and you see God's wrath, it's directed mainly against two things. It's against worshiping other gods and it's against social injustice. Um, Tim Keller in his book, Prodigal Prophet, writes, It is hard for us to imagine even today the ministry that happened in Nineveh. Usually those who are most concerned about working for social justice 
do not also stand up and speak clearly about the God of the Bible's judgment on those who do not do his will. On the other hand, those who publicly preach repentance most forcefully are not usually known for demanding justice for the oppressed. You see, church, our witness is both evangelism and justice. And those two have to be tied together and they're incredibly important. If all we do is evangelize, then the outside world, we're just, they'll just see us as people who are trying to increase our power by expanding our tribe. And if we only preach evangelism, we're going to miss this really important part of God's heart. Now, we certainly have to be careful with the idea of God's wrath because Christians, we have a history of misusing God's wrath. Too many Christians have decided that God's wrath isn't against injustice. Instead, they decide that God's wrath is against uh, things that they dislike or God's wrath is against people they fear or people they disagree with. But we have to reject these misunderstandings and these misuses of God's wrath. And in a sense, this is what Jonah does wrong. Uh, we see this more in chapter 4, so we'll, it'll get to it uh, next week. But Jonah preaches God's wrath against the city of Nineveh because he wants harm to come to them. And that's the mistake of using God's wrath. You don't use God's wrath in order to harm others. You use God's wrath against injustice in order to do good for others. God's wrath is against the evil things of this world, against violence and injustice, against racism and sexism and exploitation of the poor, and against idolatry. And we need to proclaim God's truth in it. So the first tool to participate in God's justice is proclamation. The second tool to participate in God's justice is repentance. And we see this, obviously, in the character of the Ninevites. When they hear God's message, they believe it, they fast, they mourn, they put on sackcloth, and they cover themselves in dust, and then ultimately, they turn from their evil ways. When they were confronted with God's justice, they repented. You see, this, the first tool of proclamation is how we react to the injustice that we see in the world. And the second tool of repentance is how we react to the injustice that we see in ourselves. Now, repentance is hard. It's really hard. It's much easier to just ignore the injustice that we see within ourselves, or it's really easy to get defensive when we are confronted with our internal injustice. But the godly way to be is to act in humility in confession and in repentance. I think for a lot of us, and I know this is certainly true for me, this past year has been characterized by this. Um, everything we've been through in this past year, especially with the, the racial reckoning in our country and the Black Lives Matter movement, has caused me to really turn inward and think about the ways that I have participated in injustice and to reflect on my own unconscious 
biases and my own racism. And it's, there have been things about it that have been really hard. Over the past year, I've noticed specific examples in myself where I uh, am driving through an area and I get more nervous because there are more black people there. Or instances where I meet someone and make assumptions about their intelligence because of racial stereotypes. Or, or there have been times where I've met a, a black person who's particularly successful or articulate and, and been surprised. Uh, a few weeks ago, I took the, uh, the implicit association test, which measures your level of unconscious bias. And as someone who's, who likes to portray myself as relatively woke, I scored pretty poorly on it. And I say this not because I'm some example. I'm saying this as a confession that, that I have this injustice within myself. And it's something that I need to repent of and something that I'm trying to do better. We need to be people of repentance. We need to be people who reflect on who we are, who mourn our shortcomings, and who turn from our wicked ways to God. So the first tool is proclamation. The second tool is repentance. And the third tool for participating in God's justice is compassion compassion. We see this in Jonah chapter 3 in the character of God. Jonah 3 verse 10, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. Over the past year, as I've been reflecting on justice, I'm more and more convinced that justice is compassion. It's compassion lived out, and we need more of it. Martin Luther King once said, Justice at its best is love correcting everything that stands against love. We need compassion. We need compassion in our families, in our church, in our communities. We need compassion in our politics and in our policies. We need compassion in our businesses with our coworkers and with our employees. We need compassion in how we interact with people who are different from us and people who think differently from us. And when you look at the Bible and you see God's wrath so often, God's wrath is simply wrath against a lack of compassion. God shows his wrath when Israel doesn't have compassion towards the weak and the vulnerable, or towards the weak and the immigrant, or towards the orphan and the poor. Compassion is the solution. And God's justice is compassion. So how do we live lives of more compassion? It, well, it means a lot of things, but it means we listen to each other. It means we empathize with, with each other. It means we trust and believe other people, and it means we work for the good of others. So in Jonah chapter 3, we, we see these three tools for participating in God's justice of proclamation, repentance, and compassion. And as Christians, we believe that these three things were most perfectly characterized by Jesus. 
Jesus came and proclaimed God's justice for all people. Jesus, even though he was sinless, was baptized into a baptism of repentance by John the Baptist. And Jesus had the most compassionate act of history when he died for us on the cross. So hope, Jersey City. Let's be a people who participate in God's justice. Let's be a church that proclaims God's wrath and God's love. Let's be a community that is marked by humble repentance and let everything we do be characterized by compassion for all. Amen.